morning church i am excited equally excited to worship with all of all of you all this morning and i love the thrill that i feel when i get together with god's wonderful people so this morning uh, we have been uh, we have been going through many great events that make the bible and this morning we are on number 29 of our 52 major events of the bible and we are going to be looking at the story in john 3 which is of nicodemus and the whole teaching of being born again brother ji thank you for reading from the word and as we go through the story we will see that at the end of the passage in verse 9 nicodemus is asking jesus a very important question we'll get to that but before we get to that let's go through the passage please keep your eyes on your on the bible uh we'll be going verse by verse so that we really understand this uh passage and let the lord speak to us so at the end of chapter 2 john's gospel chapter 2 we see that jesus is down in jerusalem and he has been going to the passover and performing many miracles and john calls these miracles what does it say john calls these miracles signs okay and one of the people who has been close one of the person that uh, that has been closely wa- closely watching jesus is this man named nicodemus and we read about him in john chapter 3 and we start with verse 1 so please turn to the uh, please turn to verse 1 and let's read it together now there was a man of the pharisees named nicodemus a ruler of the jews and this man came to jesus by night and said to him rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from god for no one can do these things that you do unless god is with them so let's understand a little bit about nicodemus before we before we move further nicodemus was a pharisee he was one of the jewish leaders and in fact in chapter 7 we will see that he is one of those 70 jewish leaders that made up the sanhedrin now sanhedrin might be a new word for you but a sanhedrin is basically an official body that run, runs the nation maybe typically like a supreme court of the land so this man nicodemus who has been watching jesus closely is is not just an ordinary middle class you know just a general man he is an important man in the land and he sees jesus doing signs and he understands that there is something special about jesus and so he comes to meet with him and to talk with him and when they start to talk jesus steps right through and jesus understands that while nicodemus has come and started this discussion with me with a lot of words of flattery there is a deeper question in nicodemus's heart and it is interesting that while nicodemus doesn't even ask jesus this question Jesus in verse 3 is starting to answer it. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh I think I'm going to be a little slow at this so uh you'll catch up or I will catch up one of one of the two will happen. 
let's go, let's move forward. So let's go to verse three and see what happens here. Uh, Jesus answered him in verse three and says, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, a few things that we need to understand over here. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have believed that we live in this present age that is going to come to an end when the Messiah will come. He surely understood that. And he also would have understood that the Messiah is going to come and through the power of God, he's going to set up a new kingdom on earth. And as a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have also believed that you entered the kingdom of God by being obedient to the law, or at least parts of the law. These are a few things that's ingrained in the mind of Nicodemus. Now, Jesus, when he's answering this unasked question, Jesus is repeating the message of John's baptism. And what is that message of John's baptism? The message of John's baptism is that you don't smoothly move into God's kingdom. There are two major things that happens. Repentance and regeneration or renewal of our hearts and minds. So he repeats the message of John's baptism, but he uses a new message over here. And that is the message of being born again. Now, focus here. It is, it's actually a an imagery that is built on something that was earlier said in John chapter 1, verse 10 to 13. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 10 to 13 and read that verse. It says, John, sorry, it says, Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children who are not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. Being born again is being born of God and becoming a child of God. And rather than earning your admission or Nicodemus's admission to God's kingdom, which Nicodemus was trying to do, Jesus tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus that you must start from scratch. A start that is so radical that it is a new birth. A start that is so radical that it is being born, but this time you're not being going to be born of the flesh. You're not being going to be born physically, but you're going to be born of God. And without this radical new beginning, Nicodemus will never see, he will never experience, and he will never enter the kingdom of God. So that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Now in verse 4, does Nicodemus understand this? Please look at your Bibles and, and does Nicodemus understand it? Does he say, oh, I get it now. This is all figured out now. He doesn't get it. Nicodemus doesn't understand. And then Jesus says to him in verse 4, that how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into the mother's womb and be born? Now, while I was thinking of this, it can be either two things, okay? Either he's being sarcastic 
or is this is a rhetorical question but i i i could not figure out why nicodemus is asking this question but what i could figure out is he's trying to get jesus to explain a little more over here so that the understanding is there so nicodemus doesn't understand this metaphor nor doesn't does he understand the need for a radical new beginning why is that even needed so jesus clarifies the meaning of this metaphor in verse 5 and he emphasizes that this rebirth this being born again involves spiritual repentance and spiritual renewal now what you're going to see in the next few verses and while i explain this verse itself is that jesus is going to explain this whole thing to nicodemus in multiple ways in different ways so that nicodemus can understand okay so he says in verse 5 jesus answered truly truly i say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god now remember john's prophecy what did john say earlier he said i baptize you with water but there is one who's coming after me who's greater than i and i and he will baptize you with his holy spirit and with fire verse 5 is a reference back to john's prophecy and he's saying two things that you must undergo the waters of repentance you must repent and then being born of the spirit the spirit that same spirit will renew you will regenerate you jesus is saying to nicodemus that in order to be part of the kingdom of god you must first of all first of all experience the cleansing power of god's spirit in repentance and then when you agree with God that you are a sinner, when you agree that sin has separated you from God, then God does his work of cleansing you from your sin. But along with that cleansing power, we must also experience the power, the renewing power of the same spirit. The baptism by fire, the spirit and fire, which regenerates us and it gives us a new beginning and it allows us to start over this is what jesus has been trying to explain to nicodemus that you must start over let's see now jesus is going to use another uh, uh, another verse over here to explain a little more let's let's move to the next verse here uh, jesus continues the discussion in verse 6 by emphasizing the difference between the flesh and the spirit and he says that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit now let's understand what jesus is trying to talk about here he's using two main terminologies flesh and spirit flesh is that worldly existence fresh is that worldly existence into which we all come into this world and we are born physically but the spirit is the realm of salvation spirit is the realm of life and it is the realm that is only available for those who are born again let me explain to you so what that means is if i am born in the flesh which i am because i am born into this world if just because i start doing a few good things 
I can't transition into moving into the realm of the spirit. You know, look at the contrast here. There are two things that we need to keep in mind. Uh, and before I get to that, let me also say this. By emphasizing this, the difference between these two realms, Jesus is, is telling Nicodemus that we cannot grow or we cannot evolve from this realm of the flesh to the realm of the spirit, where there is life and where there is where there is life and where there is forgiveness. This can happen. This can happen only with the work of God's spirit. So the two realms are this. One is my realm of the flesh where maybe I try to do a few good things and try to look good outwardly and maybe feel good about myself also. But the other realm is the realm where God starts a work in us. This parallel, this cannot happen, we cannot transition over to that phase, to the realm of the flesh, uh, to the realm of the spirit, without God starting a work in us. And in this case, God is telling it to Nicodemus. So it doesn't, and, and this is why all works-based religions are all wrong, because it doesn't matter how many times I go give tracts, it doesn't matter how, many, how much money I give, because if I am doing all that to earn a favor, with God and to use that as a ticket when one day I'm going to stand in front of that judgment seat and, and say that I did this, I did that, we are just going to deceive ourselves and we are just going to fail. It is simply not possible, again I repeat this, it is simply not possible for us to move from the realm of the flesh to the realm of the spirit by our own efforts. And so in verse 7, Jesus wants to drive this point home and he says, do not marvel that I say this to you. You must be born again. Now keep yourself in Nicodemus' shoes, okay? Look at who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus is one of the top guys of the land. Nicodemus comes from the Abrahamic lineage. Nicodemus is a teacher of the law and has also abided by most part of the law, if not all. Jesus is telling him, don't marvel that even though you are all this, you must be born again. And brothers and sisters, this is true for our lives. We cannot transition from the realm of the flesh to the realm of the spirit without the work of God's spirit in our life. So just because we are born into a Christian family, just because we are attending all the meetings, just because we are giving enough money, 10%, 20%, whatever that is, we, that will not save us. God's work needs to start in our lives. And that is the starting point for us. Now Jesus goes to the next step to explain this. Now look at, and this is compassionate God talking. Okay, because Jesus could have said, one line and told him that if you don't get it, I mean, that's your problem. You just didn't get it. Uh, maybe this is not for you. But Jesus is now going to use another parallel, another metaphor, and going to explain this more to him. And he's saying in verse uh, 8, yeah, in verse 8, the wind blows, um, yeah, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is telling him, 
just like the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, the spirit speaks where the spirit wishes and you hear its voice. If it hits you, you will hear its voice. But you do not know where he comes from or where he goes. And Rasanth says, this is the way it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. In other words, rebirth is not a natural phenomenon. It is a mysterious work of God, God's spirit in our lives. And we don't fully understand it, but yet it is real. Just like when the wind blows on our face, we don't know where it comes and where it's going. But when, you, when it hits our face, we know it hit us. Now, does Nicodemus understand it? Verse 9. Nicodemus gets through this part of the discussion, but he still doesn't get it. And in verse 9, he kind of throws his hand up and says, how can these things be? He's like, I have been trained to think that what, all that I did was enough. And now you're saying, I must be born again? How can these things be? And now Jesus goes to explain that. So Jesus goes into this discussion, which eventually will lead to verse, four, verse 16. Okay. Yeah. Which leads to verse 16. And John 3.16 I'm sure that maybe 100% of all of you all sitting here have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now just because you have heard that verse so many times, please don't switch off. But please let the word of God work if it has to work in you today. This is not only the most famous verse in the Christian circles, but I, I, I feel that it might be, the most, might be the most talked about verse in all of history too. What does this verse mean? It means that God made the world, he loved the world, he gave his son for the world, and his son will in turn die for the world, for all those who believe in him, and he's gonna do this by giving them forgiveness, And we are going to live with God and being able to live with God forever. So let's break down this verse a little bit. Okay, so God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we heard a lot about that this morning, about his son, which is why we are all sitting here today, right? God's love led God not to treat us like we deserve as his enemies. But because God is the God of grace, he treats us with unmerited favor. And what does he give? He doesn't give one of his creations. He doesn't give the sun, the moon, or you know, the stars or anything to represent him. But he gives his only son. And this son is his unique son who opens the door to give access for us to the father. And this access also gives us forgiveness for our sins. And this access gives us that relationship with God that our heart and soul yearns for. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So if Jesus had given anything else, it wouldn't have given us access to the Father. 
it wouldn't have restored that broken relationship that we have with the father but he gave us jesus his only son and that verse comes true because no one comes to the father but through jesus and the only means to forgiveness and salvation is not because we deserve it but because god is the god of grace and that is where we come here and we say it's not us god it's not us it's you it's all you the verse goes that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him and it was it was because god loved the world that he offers salvation to all the offer of rebirth is not limited to a certain section of people it doesn't matter if you are intelligent it doesn't matter if you are not intelligent it doesn't matter if you are from the upper caste of the society like nicodemus or it doesn't matter if you are from any section of society because it is for all people and it must be offered to all people and that's why the cross is sufficient to cover all our sins but it because it includes each and every one of us and there is no one outside the scope of god's of christ's forgiveness and there is no one outside the scope of god's salvation and when he extends this offer and says whoever then we can know that the death on the cross was sufficient to pay the price of all our sins and for sins of all who believe in him now what we need to note here is this this offer of rebirth is to be given to all yet yet it is only for those who believe in jesus who are given the right to become children of god the offer is for all yet it is only for those who believe in jesus who are given the right to become children of god and then the verse goes on to say that for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him whoever believes in him what does believing in him mean now this is an interesting phrase in john because the the actual translation doesn't do justice uh, over here because when we talk about the phrase whoever believes in jesus it certainly includes belief it certainly includes that we intellectually or in our minds we accept the facts we accept that he is christ that jesus is christ that he died on the cross for our sins and believing in jesus certainly involves believing all of those things but that is not saving faith we need to understand that we need to know that to comprehend that you know why i say it's not that's not saving faith that's not enough it's because even the demons believe it in jo in james 2:19 it says even because even the demons believe and they shudder shudder means tremble so the demons are believing and they are even trembling there is no question when we read the gospels that the demons know exactly who jesus is the demons don't call him teacher the de demons don't call him uh, a good person or a prophet they call him the holy one of god and they know who he really is so believing in jesus certainly includes knowing these things but it has to be more than that or else 
We are no better than the demons. Believing in Jesus includes the idea of coming into the faith. Let me explain that. When we believe in him, it means that there is a time when we initially submit ourselves to God's rule, that we entered the kingdom of God and at some camp or some meeting or some person shared with us, we raised our hand and said, I believe that is true. That is important. And that is certainly part of entering into the kingdom of God because to enter into the kingdom of God, you need to get into it. But you cannot be a disciple without becoming a disciple. Believing whoever believes in him is a poor translation of the actual phrase, whoever believes into him. Brothers and sisters, biblical belief is no longer believing in ourselves. But biblical belief is transferring our trust out of ourselves and transferring it into the person of Jesus Christ. It is not just believing the facts. Let me try to explain this and use other writers in the word uh, that, have, that have tried to do this. One, one writer says, and this is, this is just something that I've uh, the, that I read. One writer says, faith or belief is an activity which takes us right outside ourselves and makes us one with Christ. It takes us right outside ourselves and makes us one with Christ. Believing into him, you know, other phrases where, or other places where John uses the, this same understanding is where he says, the, uses the word receiving Jesus or he calls it abiding in Jesus. These are all the same things. And at the end of the gospel, at the end of John's gospel in chapter 20, verse 30, we see the verse says this, Now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. And the verse doesn't end there. It says, these are written so that you may believe and you may have life in his name. That is the crux of the belief. That you and I may have life in his name. I'll repeat what I said before. Biblical belief is no longer believing in ourselves, but transferring our trust out of ourselves into Jesus Christ. Matthew 24, 37 says, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. When we go to the other parts of the New Testament, you will see different writers struggling to explain this uh, again. If you look at Paul and in Ephesians, you see that the phrase he uses is being in Christ. And again, it is a mystical concept that in some way we are joined, we are with Christ and we are with him in his death and with him in his resurrection. In Colossians 3.3, Paul talks about the fact that our life is hidden with Christ. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. We have all heard these verses, but this is the crux of the gospel. This is not for some elders or deacons or spiritually minded people who are spiritual or mature and for some others, just raising that hand was enough. This is not that. There is, e there is only a spiritual, the realm of the flesh 
and the realm of the spirit. And if we are in the realm of the spirit, this is our life. That we are hidden in Christ. And these are all different ways that writers in the Bible use to, to define the same concept that uh, John is saying when he says, whoever believes into him. We have moved our trust out of ourselves and we have thrown ourselves into the merciful arms of God and there we lie, fully trusting him for everything which includes our forgiveness, which includes our salvation and which includes our entire life. And this is the problem with that one-time Christianity. One time raising our hand and then saying that I have raised my hand, I'm done with the work, I'll see you all in heaven. The idea that the only thing that matters is that one time of event of saying, I believe and then thinking that there is nothing else to be a follower of Jesus Christ is wrong and is deceitful. Please don't live that life. It's not worth it. True biblical saving faith moves us out of ourselves and into the person of Jesus Christ, mystically joined with him. And we become his child and we live as his child, his follower and his disciple. And to believe into Jesus is to abide in him, is to live in him, to be joined to him and to no longer trust in ourselves for forgiveness, for salvation or for life, but to take everything we are and transfer it into him and to place all our trust into him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whomever believes into him will not perish but have eternal life. And that leaves us with that last word or phrase which says eternal life. Again, the, word, the phrase eternal life is slightly mis misunderstood in our circles sometimes because there is not the, the exact parallel of that in, from Greek to English is not really there. It is difficult because we understand the word eternal in the sense of time. which means that it will go on forever and ever. We go to heaven and it is never going to end. You know, even that, that song is also there, right? When we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to see God's, to sing God's praise than when we first began. And we think, we tend to think of heaven as a place that just keeps going and going. And while that is certainly true, and I'm not negating that. The phrase eternal life is actually talking about the life of another age. What is this life of another age? When we look at the Bible, the Bible thinks in terms of two ages, which is one which is a current age and where there is going to be an end to this time. And when God's Messiah comes back, the, which is the final time, and then we are ushered into a new age, which is called the Messianic age. And although it will last forever, the emphasis here is in the fact that it is a different kind of age. 
the emphasis is on the quality and not just the quantity. So the life that you and I experience here and now and the life that we are going to experience after we die is not just eternal life in terms of time, but it's going to be a different quality of life. Why do I say that? Shall we look at John 17 and verse 3? John 17 verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Does it talk about time over here? It doesn't talk about time over here. But what does it talk about? This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The essence of eternal life, brothers and sisters, is relationship. The essence of the life of the age is to know God, to know His Son, Jesus Christ, and to live within that context and all the wonders and the blessings we receive in that context. And John is telling us that we can enjoy, we can possess this quality of life of that age even right now. That when we enter the kingdom of God, when we have eternal life, then we have that relationship and we know God. Look at how he ends uh, this chapter in verse 36. And this is the culmination of rebirth and entering the kingdom of God. Whoever believes into the Son has eternal life. This is something that we have right now. And it is the blessing of the age to come that is partially broken down and given to us even now. You know what John calls this? John calls this abundant life. He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came that we all will have life and not just somehow scrape through it and just get to heaven but we might have abundant life overflowing life in john 6 35 jesus says whoever believes in me shall never thirst that is not that's not temporal stuff that is quality of life this is the kind of life that belongs to the age to come but for you and me who have believed into jesus this is now in our possession in part And we get to enjoy this kind of life. Now, I don't live in a fantasy world, right? I know that we are still in this flesh and there are still hurts and pains in our life. We still live in this sinful world and we still battle with the flesh and we battle with sin. But even though it hurts and it pains us, there is joy that is deeper than our circumstances. Because of the power of the age to come, through the work of Jesus Christ in us. And not only do we get this now, but we will get it to a vast extent, to, a, to an extent I can't even tell you about once we die. Because we will see him face to face and we will know him in a way that we cannot possibly know him now. 
we will enjoy knowing god and knowing jesus christ in a way that we can only anticipate we can only imagine the doors of heaven stand open for us god made you god loves you a relationship with him knowing him is the only answer to the deep longing and yearning of our hearts and that longing cannot be filled with our careers cannot be filled with our money cannot be filled with our even spouses you know i was listening to a message some time back and it said that if i love my wife more than i love god then i am going to put immense amount of pressure on her because she can't have a sick day she'll have to always ensure that she is keeping me happy and uh, keeping me affirmed but if i love god more than even i love my wife then my wife is also satisfied because i'm god never ceases to give me strength god never ceases to be unfaithful he's always faithful and he's always giving the grace the grace that i need for this sunday morning i have already received this sunday and the grace for tomorrow i will receive tomorrow so i was saying that none of the things in our flesh be it money be it prestige be it fame be it be it sex be it addiction none of these things because all of those things are from the flesh and the flesh can never move into the realm of the spirit and the only way that deep longing in us is going to be satisfied is by allowing god's spirit to radically change us it begins with the admission of sin for sure it begins with an admission that i've done wrong and i need to repent of what i have done wrong and i have to agree with god that i'm separated from him i have to believe that christ's death on the cross is sufficient to pay for all my sins it begins with believing into jesus of trusting him fully for forgiveness and for life and when god's spirit gives us new birth out of water and new birth out of the spirit he is making you and i into something we have never been before because he is regenerating us he is renewing us he is renewing our mind he is renewing our hearts and you and i we get to live out our lives as his children as reborn children of god and we can live a quality of life that is unlike anything that the world has to offer and all the while we live that quality of life we live looking forward to some day when we will see our lord face to face and you know what scripture says he says we, it says we will be changed from one degree of glory to another until we look like him that is wow we will be changed from one degree of glory to another until we look like him brothers and sisters this work of god's spirit if this is not worth it for us then what is worth it for us what are we striving for this is the message of rebirth shall we pray father there are so many things that uh, try to make us believe that 
we can move out of the realm of flesh and into the realm of the spirit all by ourselves. We feel that maybe if we just start doing a few things, then yes, we are born into the kingdom of God. But Father, help us to open our eyes to this deceit, open our eyes to this falsehood if we are living in this. Father, we confess that that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And unless, unless we are born of the spirit, we will be still in the flesh and nothing but the flesh. And we will die in the flesh. The only avenue into the realm of the spirit is where your work starts in us. And the realm, and this is the realm of forgiveness and salvation, and the only way to satisfy that deepest longing in our hearts is to know you and the power of your resurrection. Father, we are thankful that in your grace and mercy you have loved us. And we heard this amazingly this morning. And I believe that you have orchestrated this message and all the exhortations that we heard about your love towards us so that you would convict us and convince us and remind us that while we were yet sinners, you died for us and that by believing in your name, into your name, we can experience a life of the spirit that is not available in, to the flesh. Father, we thank you that you have done the work because if you had not done it, we could never have gotten anywhere. You call us to respond and I pray this morning that we will respond. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just two things that I want to leave with us this morning. If we are believers in Christ, if we have been born again, then the question for us is, are we gaining from that abundant life? If, we, if you are not yet born again into, you know what I mean now when I say born again. If you are not born into the spirit, then let me urge you, there is nothing else more worth running after. Thank you. God bless.